0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome to a driving home from Barclays Center, Brooklyn Nets podcast. I've got a very special guest host with me for the first time talking about the Brooklyn Nets. My wife, Sylvia Del Carmen Roberts. What's your take on how the Nets won today, baby? Very close. It was a little nerve-wracking. Was it? Did you get nervous? (laughs) Were you inspired by Blake Griffin's dunk? Uh, a little, but, I mean, that was, I mean, it was too close to call. It was intense. What? Especially looking at you. <laughs> yeah, I, I get a little stressed out. It was also, I was watching the Rutgers game on my phone, too, so maybe it was a combination of both. What did you miss most about going to Brooklyn Nets games? Because for both of us, it has been over a year since we've gone to games. We have, got, we have now gone to two games in a week. We got our COVID tests. We're socially distanced. We're wearing our masks. What did you miss most? And this will be my last question for you. I don't want to know you on the ride home. What did you miss most about going to Brooklyn Net Games with me? It was fun watching the game and seeing the energy. And I don't know. I mean, it was nice. And we had dinner before. That's right. That's right. That was nice. Curbside pickup, baby. (laughs) Actually, one last thing. My wife said something very funny to me as the game was starting. She said... What star will be joining the Brooklyn Nets next? You're getting very, very spoiled expecting all these stars to join the team. I mean, it's been a lot. I know. Well, we did see the debut of Blake Griffin. Uh, I'm glad that Steve Nash was able to contain himself and only play him 15 minutes. And look, Blake played well. And I'm not just talking about his dunk, which I think was very over-exaggerated over the last few weeks. The fact that he hadn't dunked in a year or whatever the stat was. He defended well. Uh, we know how well he can pass. I think Blake Griffin in the 15 minutes he was out there shows you the kind of role he can have on this team. But the other thing we saw tonight, and we see it really every single night, is that for the most part, DeAndre Jordan stinks. And I got to give Steve Nash credit tonight because again, we are seeing Nicholas Claxton close games. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the case in the playoffs. I don't know if that's going to be the case when Duran is healthy or if they sign Andre Drummond or if there's anybody else they add to this roster. But right now, Nicholas Claxton's a better player than DeAndre Jordan. That's just the reality of it. Now, there were some scares in this game. James Harden went down. Here's the problem with going to games. As much as I love going to games, they're not showing you replays on everything. So when Harden ends up on the ground at the end of the first half, I don't know what the hell it was. Honestly, I saw the replay eventually because... The seglia good job out of him texted me like a quick video clip of what happened and he took a shot to the neck luckily he was okay came back for the start of the second half but anytime one of these stars is sitting on the ground for more than five seconds i have heart palpitations and i think about all the times i've said about james harden oh he's so durable oh he plays 40 minutes a night oh he doesn't need rest days or maintenance days." And so all of that flashed in my mind as I watched James, Hard- James Harden sit there. The, the negative in this game is that in the first five minutes, they defended nothing. Russell Westbrook got to the basket at will. Uh, and there are times throughout this game where you see the defensive intensity change. They forced a lot of turnovers tonight. Harden and Kyrie Irving were a part of it. Tyler Johnson gives him a plus defensively when he's on the court. They did lose Landry Shaman. I, I don't know what that injury is going to turn out to be. It didn't look good. It looked like he twisted his ankle. Um, So I guess that's the big negative you take out of this. And just thank God they beat the Wizards. I'm sick and tired of losing to the Washington Wizards. Think about the two losses they had to Washington. And obviously their season series is over. The first time they played, remember Kyrie and Durant missed the great looks, I think, to tie the game. Or maybe it was to win the game. I'm trying to remember if they were down two or if they were down one at Barkley Center. And so that was a killer. And then the collapse the collapse in Washington where they blew a huge lead late. James Harden wasn't playing in that game if memory serves correct and they gave up like 155 points whatever it was. It's so odd the teams that give the Nets trouble. And you know obviously we saw the Magic a couple of nights ago beat them. But really the Nets didn't give you that intensity early. They started to kind of care in the midst of the game but it was too little too late and they couldn't hit shots late, which is funny. I mean Anytime the Nets don't win, and look, they haven't lost a lot this season, especially as of late. Anytime they don't win, it's easy to say they didn't defend enough, and that's usually the reason. You look back at the Orlando game the other night, early on, sure, Aaron Gordon did whatever the hell he wanted. That's why every Net fan wants to trade for Aaron Gordon, because every time Aaron Gordon faces the Nets, he drops – he doesn't drop 40, but he looks like a superstar every freaking time. So you can't blame Net fans for saying – Oh, man, I wish they could trade Spencer Dinwiddie for Aaron Gordon. Guy looks like an all-star every time he faces the Nets. By the way, I'm on the BQE right now. It was very easy getting out of the arena, mainly because there was only 1,400 fans there, which is something to get used to. But then again, I guess if you think back to the old East Rutherford days, there were plenty of nights where there were only 1,400 fans there. So I guess that part's easy to get used to. And oh, by the way, I noticed something. And I don't know if anybody else notices this or knew anything about this, I don't know why this came to my attention tonight while sitting upstairs at Barclays Center. So during one of the timeouts, I was going through the retired numbers. I was staring at the championship banners, and I saw the two Eastern Conference titles, which is great. I love to reminisce about that. I saw the two ABA championships, 1974, 1976, saw all the retired numbers, and you know what I noticed is not there anymore? And I don't know when this came down. I got to be honest with you. I have no recollection of when this ended. But the Atlantic Division championship banners. Now, I understand people are saying, "Well, why the hell would you ever display Atlantic Division championship banners?" I was proud of those Atlantic Division titles, mainly because they were the first ones they ever won. So I was damn proud of that old New Jersey Nets logo in the rafters that signified their Atlantic Division. And by the way, the Knicks have Atlantic Division banners up in the rafters at Madison Square Garden. So this isn't something they don't do and we do, but now we don't. I looked up tonight and I was saying to myself, where the hell did the Atlantic division banners go? Now, I can't tell you I'm annoyed, but I did have some pride in those Atlantic division banners. I'm thinking maybe the Nets are getting cocky and they're thinking, you know, worst case scenario, we're putting a couple of more Eastern conference titles up over the next two years, so maybe they're trying to save space. (laughs) Maybe they're trying to save space for banners. Obviously, best-case scenario is we put an NBA title up there. But I noticed that tonight. These are the weird things you notice when you go to a game. And, you know, it's during one of the timeouts, and you just stare into the uh, ceiling, and you notice, wait a second, where the hell did those banners go? So I picked up on that tonight. A couple of other things. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, the rumors continue to be out there that they are going to trade Spencer Dinwiddie before the trade deadline. And I've made this very, very clear. As much as I love Spencer, he's my favorite net. If they can't re-sign him, either because Joseph's side doesn't want to pay the tax, which I wish he would pay the tax, but I understand, you know, keeping Dinwiddie would be very, very expensive, or they don't think Spencer would come back. They think he would look out in free agency and want more of a starter's role, more of a prominent role on a team. Then, of course, you should trade him. Of course you should trade her. So there was a rumor Miami was interested. In, and I'm thinking, all right, what would be a good package from the Miami Heat? But you also have to think to yourself, if you're the Miami Heat, the defending Eastern Conference champions, you're trading for Dinwiddie. And really anybody who's trading for Dinwiddie is trading for Spencer Dinwiddie to re-sign him, to get his bird rights and be able to extend him. You can't trade for Dinwiddie expecting him to come back. If he was going to come back... That would be another reason to not trade him if you're the Brooklyn Nets. Because, hey, he could help this team, you know, in some kind of playoff push. So Avery Bradley seems to be a guy that makes the most sense as part of a return for Dinwiddie. And maybe you could even get a future pick. But I wonder if a team like Miami specifically, who's trying to win now, they were in the NBA Finals less than a year ago. Are they making a kind of trade like that? So I don't know what the return's going to be for Dinwiddie. And you got to take the emotion out of it, as difficult as it is. As much as I want Dinwiddie to be a part of this run and be a part of this roster, if you're not going to be able to re-sign him, if that's the case, then you may as well try to trade him. Now, it'll be an interesting couple of days. They've got a back-to-back coming up Tuesday night in Portland, Wednesday night in Utah. Misegli and I talked about this last week, but now we're getting closer to it. How does Steve Nash and early Sean Marks handle the back-to-back with Kyrie Irving? We have seen the Nets use a lot of rest nights for Kyrie, which at the end of the day I don't have a problem with. they got to keep this guy healthy, and they have to have this team healthy going into the postseason. Call me nuts. I think he's going to play both nights. I think he's going to play against Portland. I think he's going to play against Utah. And I would predict that Friday night, or maybe it's Saturday night. No, I think it's Friday night. They play Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. That's what it is. Tuesday in Portland, Wednesday in Utah, Friday in Detroit. I would predict that Friday in Detroit is when they sit Irving. I, I don't know if it's the challenge of facing Damian Lillard, and the Trailblazers, and obviously the Jazz will be the best team in the NBA. But I just have a feeling that they're going to actually let Kyrie play both of these back-to-backs. Now, the problem is Steve Nash doesn't have to control himself. I mean, you know, Kyrie will play huge minutes, which I understand. Because, look, when Kyrie Irving's been out there, the guy's been outstanding, and his defense lately has been great, too. But I kind of expect him to play both of these games against Portland and Utah as they begin what is a very intriguing trip coming up with the Blazers, the Jazz, and then the Pistons, who, for whatever reason, are just a gigantic pain in the ass. But it was a good night tonight. Good to see Blake Griffin. Hopefully we'll see Kevin Durant soon. I'll tell you, as the clock continues to tick, What is starting to creep in my mind as a concern is I have the chills thinking about the Clippers last year. How, you know, when L.A. blew that 3-1 lead against the Nuggets, a part of what I think hurt them is that they didn't play enough together. And the more Kevin Durant misses, the more games he doesn't play, the less experience these guys are going to have playing together. I know they look great together. I know Harden and Irving have developed chemistry over the last month, which is probably the most important thing. Durant pretty much has chemistry with everybody. But without pushing him, because I'm not saying push him. I'm not saying, you know, don't care about the fact he's coming off a hamstring issue. I get it. You've got to play it safe. But every day that goes by where we don't see Kevin Durant back, it's one less day for these three guys to play together in the regular season. Ask yourself this question. Go through the schedule and predict right now. How many games from here forward will the big three play together? I mean, there's a really good chance it's going to be a single-digit number. It's going to be a low number. So that's the one thing that concerns me. Again, I'm not saying push Kevin Durant. I know you got to take it easy with him. He's coming off a hamstring issue. God forbid he re-injures it. But every day, boy, that guy's going 120. I mean, I'm going 60 right now on the Grand Central. I don't know if you heard that in the background. The guy was absolutely flying. Anyhow, what was I saying? Were you listening, baby? Are you listening to any of this podcast? You can be honest with me. No, I'm, I'm just here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I got no idea. All right, I'm done. This is a, a drive-home edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast. Pisegli and I will be back in a couple of days, kind of talk about the week. But uh, the Nets beat the Washington Wizards. This was my third game at Barclays Center this year, and the Nets are 3-0. and So that's a good sign for the postseason, for all the playoff games I'm going to go to. Uh, thank you for listening.